0: This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university in San Francisco. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs.
1: Hello everyone. Hello. Uh, thank you for being with us today. Hello, Ricardo. Uh, delighted to uh, participate in this discussion uh, with you. We're going to be talking about your hypothesis, a, a very unique uh, take on human experience, which uh, you call the spread mind. It's uh, also um, named the, the mind-object identity theory. Uh, I'm really excited to um, uh, uh, be part of this discussion because your position addresses knowledge that uh, should be useful to everyone. Um, And these are also the ideas that I am uh, 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 personally uh, addressing in in my own work, in my field of research and teaching, uh, the practices of awakening. So um, Dr. Ricardo Menzotti, you have several books. I am your interlocutor for this discussion, Ricardo. So um, uh, uh, along the way, I will uh, uh, share some of my own thoughts, uh, but we're going to um, first spend some time to uh, for you to address a to present some uh, key points, and um, and we'll go from there. Um, so uh, thank you. And uh, uh, to start out, please make it understand, understand your understand your theory.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much, Abra. Thank you so much to the CIAS for this opportunity to present uh, this hypothesis. Actually, I think that uh, we can uh, take all the conversation at a very informal way because the core of uh, the hypothesis I made, I I would rather say the hypothesis I stumbled upon because uh, it is something that at a certain point uh, in my life, it really made sense so uh, as i was saying the core of the hypothesis that i would like to talk about with you today is extremely simple it is so simple that i think that in the future when people will look backward they would say oh how was it possible that uh, people didn't uh, have that didn't have that idea from the start so <clears throat> i mean what is this hypothesis let me let me get into the basic idea Today, as uh, all of you know, uh, one of the biggest problems we have is to answer to the simplest uh, or the most fundamental question we can ask, namely, what am I? What are you? What are you, Abra? And uh, of course, many people today would reply, I am a body. But that's a little bit strange, because uh, if we think about uh, how we usually express the relation between ourselves and the body, we don't reply with that usually we don't use that expression usually we say that we have a body and so if you look carefully at the body for example on a a, a, a textbook on a fmri on an anatomical uh, book we don't find something that is really like ourselves so if i think uh, about myself what i think of is uh, my world my experiences my thoughts my emotions It's not my organs It's not my my body as such so today this question that is apparently so simple and so fundamental is still very difficult to have an answer what are we are we a body it doesn't seem to be so obviously true but uh, what are the alternatives what are the other options if you are not a body in the past the traditional option was that we were a soul but what is a soul today a soul doesn't fit with our scientific explanation of the world so it's very difficult today to uh, support such an alternative what could be a soul nobody has ever seen a soul And here we're not talking about uh, the religious meaning of a soul, which is not something I I, I have anything to say about. We are saying uh, that we simply have no reason to believe that the uh, the, the notion of the soul is uh, an explanation, is a scientifically acceptable explanation of what we are. So we are left with this unanswered question. What are we? And we know that uh, in uh, the scientific world, a standard reply is that we are some process in our brains. In 1996, um, Francis Crick wrote a famous book called The Astonishing Hypothesis. And The Astonishing Hypothesis was nothing but that we are nothing but our brain processes, that our uh, experience, ourselves, our emotions, our thoughts, Everything we are is nothing but uh, what's going on inside our brain. And yet, uh, if there is something that uh, has been shown repeatedly and consistently by neurosciences in the last 50 years, 60 years, is that inside our brain there's nothing like our own experience. There's nothing like ourselves. Inside the brain there are uh, many extremely interesting uh, phenomena there are uh, synapses uh, uh, neural spikes there are uh, neural patterns activation there are incredibly interesting uh, activities uh, done by the networks of neurons but there isn't anything like our own experience there isn't anything like our own life nobody has ever been able to find inside the brain anything like a person <coughs> anything like our own experience so the question today seems quite hopeless that's why in the um, literature it is called the hard problem it is called the hard problem but a better uh, name might have been the hopeless problem because no one has any clue yeah exactly it uh, the 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 hard problem is is just uh, a polite way to point out that the explanation of our uh, everyday experience of the world is hopeless if we assume that our experience, ourselves, whatever we are, is inside our brain or is identical with the brain. Why? For a very simple reason. inside our brain there isn't anything like our own experience and that's a fact that's a fact that has been shown repeatedly and repeatedly by neurosciences the more we know about what's going on inside the brain uh, just a plastic a copy of a brain that I always use in my in my classes and uh, the uh, more we know and the more we know that inside the brain There isn't anything like ourselves. Of course, we know that what's going on in the brain is associated, correlated, necessary, is supporting our own existence. That's a fact. But that's not as knowing that what's going on in the brain is the stuff we are made of. So we are left with a fundamental question. What are we made of? if we are not made by the brain, if we are not made by neural processes. And as I said at the beginning, we cannot answer to this question by appealing to the notion of the soul. Why? Because in uh, scientific, uh, in the scientific uh, description of the world, there isn't anything like our uh, experience. So could we find a solution? And that's where my hypothesis steps in. And it is an hypothesis that is a little bit like what Sherlock Holmes was fond of saying. Once you have rejected everything that doesn't work, what is left cannot but be the solution of the problem. And in a way, such a solution is hidden in plain sight. It's something that we have had always in front of us. What is my hypothesis it is a super simple hypothesis the hypothesis is that at any time we are not made of the body we are made of the physical world that surrounds our body and that is one and the same with our own experience this hypothesis at first may may sound a little bit bizarre may sound a little bit too radical may it sound either so too simple to be true or too good to be true or just uh, too different from our common sense it is the hypothesis that whenever we have an experience of anything an apple a building the face uh, of our beloved ones or anything the the books behind you Abraham. the 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 stuff our experience is made of is just the world itself. At first this sounds bizarre. This sounds bizarre because it goes against our commonsensical notion that we are somehow inside the head. This is a commonsensical notion that is super strong and it is very difficult to get rid of, for many reasons i would like to point out only to three reasons but there are many more that uh, conjure up to make such a uh, common idea almost uh, uh, impossible to get rid of uh one one point is that uh, uh, one reason is that uh, we uh, ever since we are born we are um, uh, identified by other people with our body. Our parents, our friends, whenever they f- have to point to us, they point to our body. That's the object that is socially representative of our existence. The, our body is the object that is uh, uh, put into prison, for example, if they want to uh, um, put us. Into, uh, to, 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 to take our freedom away from us. Our body is usually the object that is requested to be in a certain place where they want us to be in that place. Well, today this is no longer that true, because thanks to online uh, technology, to Zoom uh, and other YouTube and other technology, we learn that it is possible to be in a place without our body being in that place so as long as we are able to make things happen in another place by means of technology we the the let's say we have weakened the relation between our body and our presence in a certain place but the correlation is still extremely strong i would call this the social uh, uh aspect of our identity we associate our body with uh, our existence the second reason is uh, the fact that all our sensation are uh, centered around uh, our head why because in our head we have the eyes the ears the tongue the mouth the nose so many of our uh, sensations are uh, centered around our body but that's not because we are uh, between our ears and behind our eyes this is only because all our sensors cameras, ears, microphones, biological microphones and biological cameras, eyes and ears and whatever, they are located on the head. But that's not a good reason to be where such sensors are located. For example, even if you believe that you are one and the same with your brain, as Francis Crick and most of neuroscientists do, you might be... Your brain, in principle, might be located elsewhere. This is the content of the famous philosophical tale that Daniel Dennett uh, wrote in 1978. Where am I? So we don't know where is located the thing that is one with ourself. And the fact that we have all the sensors, all the ears, all the uh, eyes in this place the fact that we that the head is the perceptual center of gravity doesn't mean that we are located where our head is. So I am asking you to think, do you really think that uh, you are your body? If you look inside you, how much of your body are you going to find, uh, and even uh, more uh, convincingly, How much of your brain are you going to find if you look inside yourself? How much of what is your existence is like a brain? Or if you look inside yourself, if you look at your own experience, don't you find the familiar world that is made of cars, buildings, sun, uh, clouds and other stuff? So the the basic hypothesis that I put forward is simply this one, namely that we are one and the same with the world, rather than one and the same with the brain. The world surrounding us is a physical world, is the world that reality is made of. And the hypothesis is that our body has a critical role, but The role of the body is that of singling out a subset of the world rather than making or creating a copy of the world inside the body, inside the brain. So, usually neuroscience is looking for a copy of the world inside the brain because they think that whatever we are has to be inside the body. No one has ever been able to justify such an assumption. But this is an assumption that has been taken to be a dogma, to be an article of faith by neuroscience. It is something that is never questioned by neuroscientists. They claim to be materialist, but they are not. They are not materialist because, first of all, they narrow all of the physical world only to the brain. And they have no reason to do that. Second, they give to the brain the burden of creating a not-physical world. Because if the mental world were physical, they should be able to show where the, physic- the mental world is inside a brain. They should be able just to uh, show us where is such a thing as the mental world inside a brain. But they never do, do that.
1: Ricardo, can Ricardo, we, can we, can we can investigate, investigate this a little bit, a little more, bit more and then, then you're going to share with share us some, with other, some key other, key other key points? Or, or would you have, would more, you to have more to say, say now right now for, now this, for understanding? this understanding?
2: Yeah, I mean, thank you. Uh, I mean, if uh, we look at all of the um, evidence provided by neuroscientists, they've never been able to show how neural activity becomes anything but neural activity. That may sound uh, obvious, Mm -hmm. but it's a fact that in the physical world, everything is just what it is. I mean, a rock is a rock, a planet is a planet, a neuron is a neuron. Why should a neuron be a mental representation? Why should a neural pattern be anything but a neural pattern? So when we find a neural pattern in my brain, every time I see an apple, why should we imagine that the neural pattern is the experience of the apple why should we why should we force that to to the neural pattern to produce the quality of the apple we have the apple we have the external world we have everything we need all around us The reason why neuroscientists got stuck with this notion that the brain must create a mental inner world nobody knows where and nobody knows how is due to the fact that um, we uh, think in dualistic terms. We always think in a dualistic framework. So that's, I think, what you wanted to ask me. So we always think that we are separate from the world. The world has to be separate from us. We must always be watching the world. And we use expressions in our language that enforce the separation between us and the world. We say things that are like, I see an apple. But such expressions are maybe completely misleading. Maybe it might be just the fact that the apple is at that very moment the very thing that is one with us. So I'm asking you to watch inside your experience. You're just imagining that I don't know where you've been today or where you're going today. But when you're walking, when you're taking a walk under the sun and you feel the breeze of the air and there's a lot of stuff going on which is part of your world at that very moment? Why should you be just a brain at that very moment, if you could be all of that? Why should you narrow yourself to a brain sealed inside a body and peering at an external world, when you could be the world itself, with all its richness, with everything it contains?
1: Thank you, Ricardo. So um, you you gave us a, a sense, a good sense of your hypothesis, and um, uh, of course, to uh, take our experience uh, out of our head is uh, a, probably a challenging view right uh, um, for many and uh, in that in that you have a very uh, unique approach in this domain of experience of consciousness, and uh, it is um Uh, Worth uh, noting that you are part of a whole new movement, and I know you want to stand on the periphery of it and not mingle too much with with the others, Um, uh, but this is uh, a movement on uh, externalist views of the mind, uh, which has been developing over the last, uh, we could say, uh, 25 years, about uh, the, the last 20 years, the last 10 years, been uh, lots of uh, different views in these areas, and uh, externalist where the mind um, is well, I would say not just outside of brain, but it goes. It's a mind that goes beyond the brain. Now you may say it's it's all out there, but the mind is, it's it's unconscious, it's conscious, it's many things. So you're saying the experience, the conscious part is out there wherever the experience, whatever the object that is being experienced, that's what, right? That's what the experience is. So um, uh, this uh, movement uh, externalist view, again, just for for situation, um, the standard view, cognitivism, the standard cognitivist view, uh, which we've had the last half of the 20th century and these 20 years started with the the cognitive science uh, revolution, the sciences of the mind. Uh, It's uh, the the computer metaphor. There's input through sensory motor, there's processing um, uh, representations, and then there's output toward behavior. And these uh, representation, uh, processes of representation, um, the standard view tells us that we have no direct relationship to the world. What we are looking at is a representation in our own brain uh, where we're not too sure, but it's kind of in there. And uh, there's no direct contact with the world. So that's a little bit uh, scary in itself. Um, uh, uh, Roger Sperry, about uh, 25 uh, years ago, a renowned uh, neuropsychologist, biologist, Nobel Prize winner, uh, he saw a whole new era ahead—a cognitive revolution, right—that would bring forth new perspectives on the mind, uh, new ways of thinking about the mind, new, new, new values. And uh, and, when, and what he saw ahead was a consciousness revolution that would be the most revisionary and transformative. So, uh, I think you are part of that revolution, uh, Ricardo. And I think that this grouping of um, um, extended uh extended uh cognition consciousness extended mind is a whole a theory of its own but um the spread mind that's what you call it right spread mind um so i don't know if you like extended consciousness but they are, you know it's kind of part of these views where consciousness is out there in the world and not something in the head and that we actually have a direct experience of the world right so this is very important, and um, now, um, uh, uh, and and I love again. I want to take this little piece there. You say um, we are the starry sky in your description for this talk. The clouds, a rainbow, trees, people, even simple objects such as an apple or a stone. And usually you take. You hold an apple when you make your presentation. <laughs> we are not inside our bodies, you say We are out there in the world. Perceiving is being. So uh, I think this is um, really different from, um, we go from, uh, from having no direct contact with the world as per the standard view of the mind, to an experience as a world-involving process of consciousness all out there and i like to say word involving dynamic process of 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 consciousness i like to use this word uh, dynamic um uh, because i look at now my own view i look at the dynamics of the whole uh the dynamics of the whole that makes us the being that we are uh with a mind uh, evolving from the relational brain body environment and so the mind is 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 again this this conscious experience and then there is you know everything that brings about this conscious experience so that we can call all that the mind or however we want we want to call it. So but that's what I mean. there is a, a, a dynamics of relationship. And importantly now something that I'm involved uh, with in terms of consciousness and these views and you view in particular as well is in the context of transformative practices, um, So whereas you look at experience, the theory of experience, my focus is on the experiential transformation of that experience, transformation, um, uh, uh, experiential transformation of our everyday experience of how we see the world. Right. And, uh, and of course we also need theory for this because we want to give meaning and we want to understand what we're doing and we want to, uh, 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 yes, have a, have a path of understanding. So, uh, but strongly in agreement with uh, Roger Sperry, I believe that uh, uh, this new thinking of the mind, uh, uh, which includes this extended consciousness, this particular view on phenomenal experience that you discuss, offer us a whole new understanding and not just the, uh, the processes, uh, the, the mechanisms, but also for the transformation of of our experience, of our uh, consciousness, this awakening, which is spoken of as awakening, traditionally enlightenment, um, transforming our own consciousness. So um, uh, I I look at this, um, uh, and really this transformation of consciousness, consciousness has evolved throughout um, uh, 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 millennia and millions and billions of years, already depending where we want to go, but even since early a humans, a millions of years, consciousness has evolved. For the transformation of consciousness, I'm involved with awakening. The mind has reached the capacity to turn around and look onto itself and change itself. Right. So, um, and 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 this view there uh, uh, that you have, I feel, is um, uh, uh, is very uh, important, and um, uh, in the way that uh, it relates, and so. A Final very uh, short point: We speak in the domain of transformation, um, a weakening state of uh, of consciousness. As an example, we speak of direct perceiving, right? For the awakened state, an awakened state of consciousness. I mean, there are different levels of uh, um, awakening, but a direct perceiving where we speak of a perceiver perceiving and perceived becoming one and the same, becoming one and the same experience. And I think this is where uh, this can relate to your um, uh, 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 theory, really, of, um, of um, uh, uh, mind, object, um, identity theory. I was looking for uh, your more scientific uh, name. Yes, So I, I
2: thank you for helping me to put my hypothesis in perspective, in an historical perspective. And then uh, there are a few things that I would like to stress. Uh, first, uh, uh, sometimes in the in science as well as in philosophy, we uh, deal with a problem that seems to be completely untractable or hopeless, like the hard problem, because we take the wrong approach. We start from the wrong assumption. And let me make you an analogy in the past a very uh, problem that seems to defy uh, uh, human understanding was uh, to understand how could the earth not uh, fall down the earth as a planet they were wondering why doesn't it fall down into the abyss and uh, uh, and so they the hindu for example had the idea that the, the earth was supported by a turtle or by some other larger animal or whatever that was the classic example of a pseudo problem that was not a real problem now we afterward we understood that the earth doesn't fall because there is no direction where to fall so the solution of the problem was to change the way in which we were tackling such a problem we we needed a, a new approach a new and i think that in the case of consciousness uh, one of the problem is the very use of the word consciousness i in this sense i think that every time that we uh, use the word consciousness we are already stepping into a dualistic attitude because there's the world and there's the consciousness of the world but as i often say to my students and to the people that i interact with i've never uh ate a a conscious apple i never eaten a conscious apple i never uh, saw my consciousness as something different from the world i i've been i always lived in a world i didn't live in a world of conscious experiences they People told me, philosophers told me that I was living in a world of shadows, like Plato. Our our, um, philosophy, our Western civilization starts with the myth of the cave, with the idea that we are separate from the world. And we keep telling this story in umpteen movies, from The Matrix to Black Mirrors, from philosophers like Plato to neuroscientists like Francis Crick, We keep telling people that they live in a world that is not real. And what is this world made of if it is not the real world? And then we told them, scientists and philosophers alike, we told them that they live in a world of mental appearances, that if you are lucky, are somehow more or less associated with the real world but they are never the uh uh, the world as it is but do we really have any reason to believe that do we have any reason to believe that there is such a veil between us and the reality or maybe it is just that we that so far we had a naive notion of reality that that's and that's of course is my is my hunch my hunch is that the world is really as it seems, and the fact that it is not how we would exactly how we might expect it to be is just because we have a naive notion of the way in which the world is so usually what we do is the following we have a naive Notion of reality. Since reality doesn't match with our beliefs, we assume that reality has to be like our beliefs predicted to be, and we explain the leftover in terms of mental experience, in terms of appearance. So if the world is not as as we expect it to be, we say, well, it must be, the the culprit must be our experience of the world.
1: Mm. So Ricardo, you, yeah, you, you want to finish this? Yeah,
2: go ahead. Just, I want to add one more thing. So my, my hypothesis is extremely radical. There aren't two things. There isn't a mental world and a physical world. There isn't a world as it is and a world as it appears. There is just one world and we are one and the same with this world my theory and my hypothesis then shows how the world might be just the way it appears us to be and this idea and then i get to an end of what you were saying but just to uh, draw a a historical line this idea is consistent with uh, uh, how could i say with a direction that science has had for the last 400 years, namely the direction that Galileo took in 1600, when he, for the first time, said there isn't such a thing as absolute velocity, but there is only relative velocity. This idea has been a very important uh, um, um, intuition behind many of the most important scientific advancements it's the idea behind uh, uh, Einstein's uh, general relativity. And I'm just asking people to take into consideration the possibility that everything has a relative existence. In such a way, we can explain why everyone is living in a different relative world. At first, this might sound a little bit different, but it is not at all. It is just as difficult as understanding that if we go to the motorway at two di- with two different cars, Object will have a different velocity relative to each of us, so i 'm just trying and that, uh, so, sorry, and then I end i 'm just trying to bring the notion of subjective inner world into the physical world. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, I think we'll come back to the velocity because i 'd like to speak to some of the things you've packed so much in, uh, in, in just a few minutes. Um, you say, uh, well, first you said um, uh, consciousness, uh, the problem, the world is already a problem. And uh, Terry Deacon, who um, uh, wrote a, his last uh, 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 highly substantial books, if anyone can plow through it, says um, uh, it's not, um, the problem is not consciousness, is the self. You know, like focus on the self, and I, I and and I like that because uh, and we can look at the self as a subset of consciousness for sure. But talking of consciousness, making it a thing, it's 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 kind of hard to relate to it. But the self, everyone can relate to the self, right? And then you say um, we are. So that's one one pointer here. And then you say we are one and the same with this world. So. I love this. And uh, well, you know, and of course people are going to be, well, you know, ordinary day-to-day consciousness. I'm not exactly one and the same with the world. Uh, but then again, if I go back to the the, the transformative um, um, uh, experiences, uh, teaching that, uh, the teaching and practices that transforms experience, again, to we come to states of, the seer, the seeing, the seen being one and the same. So that what I see there now, the seer is the scene, is that world. One and the same with this world. And I, and I, this is not so uh, as uh, mystical as it could sound. Uh, everybody has had that experience. And I would like to point to this experience now. Everybody has, uh, no, not everybody, but those who have gone to uh the top of a mountain on a on a hiking day and uh, and if you don't have mountains and you haven't been there then maybe the beach the ocean right this right so going to the top of the mountain you sit at the top of the mountain um eat your sandwich talk to your friend and then eventually things start quieting down and then eventually um this vastness of the space starts moving into you the, the stillness, the vastness, and the silence. I mean, you can hear the birds, but the silence, this this vastness of silence, it moves into you. And then, in that process, what happens is the self falls away. That separation between me, and my friend, me, me, and my sandwich, um, uh, all of that falls away, and um, uh, we are one and the same with this world. Your sentence, what you're saying is right there, we are one and the same, we become one and the same with this landscape. I walk through the forest, I become one and the same with the forest, and the forest is walking me, Uh, I am walking the forest, the forest is walking me uh, one and the same. And what happens here is that the separation of me, what you pointed to earlier, uh, when you were a child and your 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 mother pointed to you and your name is Ricardo manzotti and uh, uh uh you know you have to feed this mouth and not well for me not the mouth of my of my doll and put the shoes on this feet, not the feet of my doll right so so all of this is 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 learned um so a question though for you because you see now we can transform this view of the world, and it's not that we are go- going to be always uh, all expanded. And I mean, there can be uh, attention can come, a focus attention can come within this dimension of of being the world, right? But so going from this wide angle view of consciousness, uh, bringing the focus back on, on your hypothesis, from your standpoint, how... Do you explain that? Um, yes, this this is the, your your experience. You you are your experience, and this experience of the world you are that. But this is not something that uh, people experience on on their day to day living, unless you know there's been some kind of transformation along the way. Um, people's experience, and as you have pointed out. Um, Uh, most people view their experience as happening where they are and where they are is where their body is. And that's where their sense of self is, right? And the self is kind of right here or hovering where the body is. and, And yes, behind the eyes, more likely the head. And this is actually in line with the classical cognitivist view, right? So how how do you, once again, to just revisit that? How do you address that?
2: I, from, I love your... so much the example that you just made uh, because you put together two very important things. One is the fact that when we are in nature and uh, when we are just uh, with uh, in contact uh, with nature, when the body is in contact with nature, we feel that the separation between us and uh, the uh, world disappears disappears because it has never been there it has always been a social construct and you were right it is this, the, such a, a feeling of the self as something separate as, as a burden that we keep with uh, ourselves is uh, generated by our social interactions and there's a reason for that control society has to do with control every society has the problem to control its members Uh
0: Uh,
2: it's not always a negative thing uh, but uh, it is surely something that society needs to do and the control Uh often the easiest way to control people is to control their bodies Uh once you and we can see some example of that today with notions such as that of biocontrol that has been uh, um, for example addressed by uval harari in his recent uh, work and by many other authors so by controlling the bodies of the people we can control people and what's easiest than convince everyone they're just one and the same with their body and that they, they that they are identical with their bodies think about that that uh Uh, notion has many uh, negative consequences on our existence because we can no longer be what we care for we cannot longer be what we really uh, uh, love like uh, it might be uh, art it might be our beloved ones it might be nature we are stuck inside our body our body is a trick that many society have used in order to chain people to uh, a specific uh, place uh, and uh, and and location it is a way in which they can put uh, uh, on everyone a chain that cannot be uh, broken unless we understand that we are not our body i remember a few uh, a couple of years ago i was running uh, in central park and i saw a group of elderly people on a very rainy and chilly uh, November day, like more or less uh, uh, during the winter. It was raining and it was very cold. And I asked myself, what are these people doing in Central Park? It was very early in the morning. And then I got it. They were Central Park. They didn't care at that very moment about their body. Uh, they didn't care about what was going to uh, I mean, uh, to many other conditions that may refer to their own body. They were just there to allow uh, their uh, self, their existence, to be one with the uh, with the, the uh, c- with Central Park as a whole. So, mm-hmm. whenever we do something we really care for, we see that we break such a, a chain. So. Uh, it's all too easy to identify the body the self with the body and uh, so i agree very much i think you made just a, a great okay. example when we are alone in nature we uh, naturally feel one with the, the surrounding environment there's nothing left there's no place hidden from the reality we are just one mm-hmm. with the reality that surrounds our body
1: uh, i like your point about the uh, uh social and cultural and uh, uh the learned uh, uh aspect of um uh in the sense of self um uh, uh, maybe i uh, i don't take as much a, a conspirational uh, posture with it <laughs> Uh, <laughs> of society conspiring, and uh, but there are uh, habits of um, of socializations and establishing a sociality when we are very young, and uh, Jack Angler uh, from Harvard has said well, you have to be somebody before you can be nobody, and that includes kind of the body. Growing up, you have to identify with this body as a human being in terms of. Uh, being a healthy self before you can even start deconstructing the self. Um, but these notions of, um, of being learned and the, the potential for the self to also be uh, different, uh, uh, there is a, uh, a Brazilian uh, anthropologist, um, uh, Eduardo uh, Vivieros de Castro, who wrote uh, this uh, wonderful book, uh, Cannibal uh, Metaphysics, a wonderful uh, title as well, and uh, describing uh, people from um, uh, Amazonian and uh, uh, um, uh, Amerindian uh, cultures, where their sense of self is completely different. And he, uh, him too, it's a completely uh, new ontological term defining what is, what is the mind, what is the self, uh, uh, a completely new view of reversal, where people there experience themselves in the animals that they see, right? So it's, it's, it, it's it, I think, in his own ways, in terms of indigenous uh, uh, cultures, um, we find this notion as well, where the self is something which is inculcated, this consciousness of, of what uh, what I am, you know, what I am. Uh, I think people refer more to the self in terms of where they are perhaps than, than the body, the body is more something um, I think uh, that people refer to it more in the sense of ownership. I have a body and uh, this notion of ownership is also uh, important um, how do you relate your hypothesis and we I mean we could s- speak of that sense of ownership for an entire week so more at a you know level of just staying with that sense of self and that sense of ownership in a in an accessible way, uh, how do you relate that sense of ownership? Because after all, I have a body, I have emotions, uh, I have thoughts. So are these experiences or are this something that I have these experiences? You see, we still have the self here in the picture relating to this sense of ownership. Yeah. How do you view this from and and again without going i know you and i could speak for a week on this but
2: yeah uh, first of all yeah you, you mentioned that i, I put a, a conspiration a, a, consp- a <laughs> conspiratory push on my uh, account of society no that that was just an historical uh, uh, comment so if you look at all society from the ancient roman empire to recent right. uh, Um, national states in europe we see that uh, associating the identity of the person with the body was a necessary step to be able to control what people did so it's it's something that has been done uh, from uh, in all organized uh, society it's a necessary step like the invention of private property
1: Right, but each each human being has a body and is somehow embodied because, you know, wherever there is this conscious mind, there is going to be a body there a, too, I, you know. I it's, thank you, it's, you
2: very much for having, for having introduced that word, being embodied. What does it mean to be embodied? Does it mean mm-hmm. that we are physically or uh, in any uh, meaningful sense of the word inside the body mm-hmm. or does yeah. it mean that the body plays a role in what we are? And of course, if we admit that the body plays a role, as is uh Tenet is a point of my theory, then we must explain what are we. Because I start from a very uh basic assumption that we must be something. Mm-hmm. So, what right. are we? We must be able to point at something. If we are physicalists, then we must be able to point at something physical.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Because that's the only option that we have. And neuroscientists have pointed to the brain. Mm -hmm. But this has been, so far, has been an epic failure. Because they have put so many resources in finding something like us in the brain, and they've never succeeded, so far, at least.
1: Right. So again, coming back to that sense of ownership,
2: right? Exactly. So what body, does it mean? Exactly. What does it mean the that emotions. we own a body? My uh, reply to that question is that the body is the proxy of the world, which is identical with us. What do I mean mm-hmm. with that? Mm-hmm. I mean, something very simple. Take, a, well, I don't have it here. Take a phone. When you mm-hmm. speak with a phone, you are not speaking with a phone, you are speaking with someone through the phone. But the phone is the physical thing with which you are interacting. So the phone is the expression of a person at the other end somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, in, there is some sense in which at the moment in which you are speaking with the phone, that phone is the expression, is the proxy of the person you're speaking with now my point is very simple is that the body is the expression of a world that at that very moment at any moment allows um sorry expresses itself through that body so the body is a proxy what is ownership to get back to your question for me ownership is uh, the fact that a body is the proxy of a world what do i mean that i own a body it means that that body is the proxy of myself so if you want to interact with me you have to interact with my body that's the uh, sense i give to the word ownership but of course that doesn't mean that i am a soul that doesn't mean that i am a ghost inside the machine like the cognitive scientists believed to some extent without being dualists in a metaphysical sense but they were dualist in a scientific sense so my point is that through each of our through uh, our bodies we are worlds interacting together
1: we are not the body and uh, but if we are the world um, uh, the the body is part of the world so we, we don't have to be outside of the body either uh, the body is Part of that world, and they, we are the body. We are the world. I mean, there's no reason to to cut out the body out of it. But one last tiny point about this: the um, uh, this sensory motor interaction, body and environment, right? There is something which has been called a uh, Gallagher, the body image, and but this this uh, other philosopher, uh, Michel Maiz, um, uh, very close to also. Uh, Dorothée Legrand, Dorothy Legrand, maybe her her work is even um, uh, uh, perhaps uh, 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 vo- more voluminous. But Michel May says the, fil- the following. A matter of experiencing oneself as a... Uh, she speaks of that sensory motor subjectivity. I know subjectivity, that word is a little bit... Um, um, you have a lot to say about that. But the sensory motor, so that we feel that body, right, the, through the senses... Body-based perceptions, she says. Um, um, uh, this, she describes this sensory-motor subjectivity as here's her quote: "A matter of experiencing oneself as situated, forward-flowing, living organismic body of a suitable suitable degree of neurobiological complexity." Of course, we're not feeling the neurobiological, but and although this basic bodily sense of self needs uh, not to be accompanied by self-reflection, rationality, or high-powered consciousness, all uh, high-powered uh, mode of self-consciousness, presupposes sensory motor subjectivity. This is supported by the fact that at least some non-human animals, uh, and all ordinary human infants have sensory motor subjectivity, like there is some kind of meanness, they are connected to the body. And this is pre-reflexive. We don't have to think about it, we don't have to rationalize, we don't have to be able to to uh, uh, be conscious that I feel that way. But there is that um, a pre-reflexive knowledge of... So... Uh, perhaps perhaps you want the questions with this, but um isn't isn't this the body the all experiences um these uh, an uh, ubiquitous kind of of bodily self, a sense of the body if the body wasn't there, we would know it and 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 we know that because we have structures of self that fall away, they are bodily structures of self, and we only see them when they fall away. Um, In through some practices of um, uh, uh, experiential uh, work. So um, this bodily self, this sense of the body, which is ubiquitous, which is part of all experiences that we have in the world. What do you think of this?
2: Yeah, no, no, it's a fundamental point. And uh, of course, the body is uh, the first object in some sense. So the body is the first object that... uh, we interact with but to some only to some extent because if you think about that there is one part of the body that we never experience that it does never any direct role uh, in shaping whatever we uh, whatever our life is made of the brain and the nervous system there is nothing in our experience which is uh, um, made in any meaningful sense by the properties of our Neural activities. So there's nothing that is uh, neuronal, um, like the neurons in our okay. experience. There's nothing Neurology. that is like our, exactly, there's nothing that is brainish in our experience.
1: Right, right. we don't feel the neurons. And we right? don't
2: feel the neurons, we don't have no experience. We are blissfully unaware of having mm-hmm. a brain unless uh, they told about it in a class of neuroscience.
1: Right. Well, we don't want to be conscious of everything because that would overload the system. I don't want to hear all that goes on with the digestions and, and, and feel everything.
2: Yes, but in many cases, we have no choice about what we are conscious of. And uh, if the brain might be part of our experience, sooner or later, it would be. It never is. So there has to be a reason for that. The reason is mm-hmm. that... Uh, the uh, the brain is the uh, center of our body, uh, and uh, therefore it can never be experienced as an external object. While we can experience all the other part of our body. Okay, can body, you say
1: that again? Can you say that again?
2: The the body, the brain, being the being the center of our experience, can never be experienced as an object of our world. Okay,
1: all right. Mm-hmm. That's what scientists say.
2: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, mm, but we can always experience our body as an external object. I can see my hand right, right now. And I, internally. I, I can touch, I can touch. Well, to and some internally, extent, internally. yes. To some extent, right. yes, I can experience uh, every part of my body as, right. as an object. And, and uh, so about... Uh, that
1: subtle experience of the body is always there as part of all experiences. And what Maïs is saying is that, well, it doesn't have to be in the forefront. It doesn't have to be, but it's there and there is that experience because we've been going around with bodies all our lives. And there is an experience of body which is also there. And again, there's no reason to cut that body out of being the well, experience on, being on, the world.
2: Well, this, uh, cut the brain on out. Abra, we disagree. If uh, When the I, body works really well, we yeah. don't experience it.
1: Okay, there are instances to- totally agree with you.
2: Okay, when the, when the eyes have no problem at all, they are completely transparent and the world mm-hmm. presents itself and we have no uh, visual experience of the eyes as such. There is just the okay. world. When we have some visual impairment... Yeah, not or the f- eyes,
1: but there's a body there, not the eyes. So, and and yes, we don't feel inside the eyes. It's it's like the brain. Just Um, to
2: say one more thing about mm -hmm. embodiment and body cognition, extended mind, externalism, and and the like. I think that all those views and uh, theories were on the right track and they were going in the right direction. Namely, they were all trying to get out of uh, the brain as the only explanation of the mind only they didn't go far enough so they got stuck into some kind of dualistic uh, framework namely uh, rather than having the traditional uh, mind uh, uh, world uh, dualism or uh, the brain world dualism they introduced a new kind of body world dualism which i think is not necessary we can just be one with the world and if I had to wrap up, what I want to tell is that we need no dualism, and then we can just step onto the world. There's no mm-hmm. there's no subject extending in the world. There's no mm-hmm. mind spreading in the world. There is just the world. We are... We don't need to reach the world.
1: To be fair to these other theories, and of course, we're not going to go into all this right now, but just the last little thing, to be fair, uh, uh, many of them is a brain-body world in terms of the relationships, in terms of explaining the mechanisms, the processes of the mind. So, uh, I mean, just to be fair, to, because there are various theories, they look at different angles. But you do have the very unique place of focusing on experience and I I, I do appreciate very much your uh, uh, the way in which you uh, approach it. So I would like to now thank you very much, Ricardo this thank you, this, this has been uh, terrific. I uh, would like to and uh, thank you to our audience. Um, uh, thank you for being with us today.
0: Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team includes Kyle Demedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fort. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs.